Monumental Sports and Entertainment, along with Pressbox, presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the Bat Around. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you on this Saturday, February 16th, 2019. Stan the Fan and the Bat Around are on the air. And do we have the camera on Craig Heist's empty chair, Brittany? We do not. Okay. Can we, sh- can we at a certain point, <laughs> we, can we yeah, show? Yeah, we can show Craig is not this here. Is, this is Craig Heist is not here, <laughs> which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's pretty much the same as him being here, right? Except that there, there's a lot less hot air in the room. <laughs> That's also true. Uh, all right. <laughs> anyway, we had a great breakfast, though, if Craig's listening out there. You and I <laughs> get the breakfast every Saturday morning. Where are we going for lunch today? Wherever you want to go. Co- Costas Inn. Costas Inn, yeah. yeah. We'll go out to the Costas Inn. Anyway, welcome aboard for two hours of baseball talk. Uh, Stan the Fan here. Brittany Everett in the house from the uh, studios here at PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Did we turn the light on? We, stu- we turned the light on. All We're right. good. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. We're going to get more professional. We'll explain that as time goes on. Got some exciting news about our studio here at uh, 3600. Studio, should we call it studio? Well, actually, that's, uh, anyway, we'll get to that. Uh, here's our guest list today, and then I wanted to do something uh, each every and every season now for the past seven years, I have done Stan the Fans MLB Power Rankings weekly. Uh, last year, we stepped it up a notch, and not only do I release it on the website uh, on Monday, uh, Monday morning by noon, uh, we also have a video feature that goes along with that. Um, and uh, I thought what I would do after I introduce who the guests are going to be on today's show is spend a few minutes just initially going over uh, the improvements and unimprovements, if that's a word, uh, and uh, falling back of some National League teams. Then at 11.20 to 11.35, we will uh, endeavor to look at the American League. But in between those times, Todd Karpovich joins us. He's our beat writer for the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, and Todd will join us at 10.20 for about 15 minutes. Then Mike Shallon of the New Hampshire Union Leader will join us, and we'll talk to him about the chances of this Boston Red Sox club um, repeating uh, this year and what he sees in how Dave Dombrowski figures to um, finish off that uh, roster of his, whether or not there is still one big move left, the return of uh, Craig Kimbrell, uh, or maybe some other relief pitcher that's still out there, uh, but not nearly as expensive as Craig Kimbrell seems to be. Now, the story with Craig Kimbrell, though, one of the probably the top five remaining free agents on the market after you get past Harper, Machado, and Keuchel, I guess he would be the fourth uh, best uh, free agent still available. And that is that um, he started off the offseason with a very unrealistic ask. He was looking for six years, 
over $100 million in salary. He's since dropped that, I think, to 5 and 80 somewhere in that ballpark, and that's still awfully pricey. Um, 5 and 80, that's one, that's 16 a year for five years. I think if he were at, say, 3 for 45 or 3 for 48, he might get. He might get the yearly nut he's looking for. He would certainly get it for two years. Uh, the problem is that Craig Kimbrell wants a five- or six-year deal. He's probably now thinking he'll get a four-year deal, and I think that may still be unrealistic. I think Boston might come in and pay him, say, 35 or 36 for two years, but I think Boston – and, and I have to be honest with you, I think it's rightly so. Um, with the way he looked at the tail end of last year and the way he's been in the postseason these past two years, uh, I don't know that I want to be tied to that horse for four, five, six years. Uh, and the market has borne that out. So um, that really is the question of whether or not my um, da- Dave Dombrowski in Boston intends to do something with his bullpen. At 11.05, Former Oriole great Mike Boddicker will join us from his home in Kansas City. And Mike um, not only pitched briefly for Frank Robinson in 1988 after Frank replaced Cal Ripken Sr. after six games, or yeah, it was six or seven? I think it was seven games. Anyway, uh, Mike Boddicker reminded me that he pitched for Frank Robinson at Rochester in 87 when Frank went down there and managed. I'm not sure if it was two or three seasons. I think it may have been 85, 86, and 87 that Frank managed at Rochester. I could be wrong. could be two years. But anyway, Boddicker pitched for Frank Robinson in a key uh, sort of developmental season. So I'm talking to Boddicker on the phone yesterday, and I, and he reminds me of that. You know, He says, you know, I pitched for Frank in 87. And I said, really? I said, I'd forgotten that. And I said, that's right. I just read that he went back and managed in the minor leagues. This is, keep in mind, there aren't many, there's probably nobody that would do that today. Like if Don Mattingly got fired tomorrow by the Marlins and the Texas Rangers said, hey, we'd like you to be the manager at Fresno, he's not going to Fresno. Uh, but, but Frank Robinson, who had managed as player manager and then manager only in Cleveland for two and a half seasons, uh, and then managed three or four seasons for the San Francisco Giants, did go back to the minor leagues. He so wanted to manage and prepare himself, uh, and he got that eventual job back with the Orioles in 88, and he lasted into parts of, I think, 1991 when Johnny Oates replaced him, and then Frank would manage one more time. Um, some 14 or 15 years later, he would get the job, um, actually probably about 12 or 13 years later, he would get the job in Montreal and then moved with the team. And I think he managed in Montreal for two or three seasons and two in Washington. So um, that was Frank's last job in uniform was as a manager of the Washington Nationals, which started when baseball knew it was taking over the franchise in Montreal, and they placed one of their people in there. All right. Then at 11.20, as I alluded to, I'm going to talk a little bit about the AL teams, the offseason moves, where they fit in my power rankings. 
But then at 11.35, we're going to have our first deep dive into the fantasy baseball season with the owner of FantasyAlarm.com, and that is the one, the only Howard Bender. Howard does a uh, daily show from 4 to 6 with the general manager Jim Bowden, uh, and Jim is a a very valuable contributor um, on uh, fantasy the on the XM fantasy station from four to six and also from nine to eleven in the morning with Craig Mish. So uh, Jim Bowden ends up making a lot of his shekels each year from the fantasy world and it's very interesting to watch. Uh, and Howard Bender and Fantasy Alarm have been around a long time and they do it all. They do golf fantasy, they do NASCAR fantasy they do football, fantasy, NBA. I don't know if they do NHL. I don't know if anybody does that. But anyway, that's our guest list. Uh, but in this uh, remaining few minutes I have, I thought I'd take a look at the National League uh, in, in preview. This is me just talking off the top of my head. Uh, last, last season, Atlanta won the National League East with a 90-72 and 72 record. Washington finished up a little bit strong at the last couple weeks of the season. They finished over 582 and 80. The Phillies, who led at the All-Star break in that division, really faded miserably the second half of the season. They finished under 500 at 80 and 82. The Mets started off like a house of fire, went through about a two-and-a-half, three-month terrible period, and then kind of righted their ship the last seven or eight weeks of the season. Uh, they finished at 77 and 85, and of course, as you know, <clears throat> they've had a monster busy offseason with uh, Brady Van Wagenen, their um, their new general manager. And the Miami Marlins uh, wrapped up the bottom of the division at 63 and 98. So let's take a look at this National League East. Atlanta had a chance, in my opinion, to really grab hold of this division. And, uh, and take it through the ringer. I mean, had they picked up a Craig Kimbrell, had they picked up a Dallas Keuchel, had they picked up a Mike Brantley, Michael Brantley, um, you could see them really having created some distance between themselves and everybody else. Uh, but all they've done, and this may turn out to be a terrific deal, they've added Josh, Josh Donaldson at $23 million on a one-year hope-for bounce-back candidate to play third base. Um, that's an interesting move, but uh, the only other moves they made were to bring in Brian McCann to play, take the place of Kurt Suzuki, who went to the Nationals, and they also brought in um, Nick Markakis on a one-year, $6.5 million contract. And the interesting thing with that is General Manager Alex Anthropoulos alluded to the fact that Markakis is coming in so inexpensively uh, allowed them the flexibility to make additions to their roster. And that's been a month ago already, and they have made no additions that I know of. Uh, so the Nationals are second place. Nationals look, it's still probably 50-50 or 60-40 that Harper will or won't be back in Washington, depending upon whom you talk to and when. It would seem that at the end of the day, that if Washington were going to step up, they would have done it by now. So I'm making the assumption that somehow Bryce Harper is not back in a Washington Nationals uniform. I could be wrong, but they've made some improvements, most notably Patrick Corbin, most notably Kyle Bearcloth in the bullpen, Trevor Rosenthal in the bullpen. 
uh, two catchers in Jan Gomes and Kurt Suzuki to take the place of Matt Wieters and a, a host of uh, secondary figures there in Washington. And then they capped it off by picking up uh, Brian Dozier. Um, that, so the outfield figures to be this year, at least at the beginning of the season uh, in Washington, Adam Eaton, um, uh, Soto, and uh, who's the, the last guy? Um, the guy that's coming up, the rookie that's coming up, the rookie, Robles, uh, the sensational rookie, uh, who they, they are thinking could be every bit as good as, um, as Soto was last year. So anyway, that's an interesting outfield. It doesn't look like a powerhouse on paper, but again, remember, in their lineup, they've got Ryan Zimmerman. Is he the Ryan Zimmerman of 17 or 18? Is uh, Anthony Rendon going to continue is, uh, playing at the high level that he plays at? Will they be able to get with the way the free agent market is right now? Will that lead the Nationals down the path of trying to tie up Rendon to a four- or five-year extension now? And will Rendon, seeing what Bryce Harper, Machado, and Keiko and others are going through, Adam Jones, will he say, you know what? I may be better off getting the security of signing, say, a five-year, $80 million, $90 million contract than trying to shoot the moon and get 175 or $200 million. Uh, as good as Rendon is, you have to wonder if those kind of dollars are around. Now, Philadelphia Phillies have been playing a waiting game all offseason for Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. Uh, but in the meantime, they didn't just play a waiting game. They picked up um, – Jose Segura, uh, the shortstop, is that his first name, Jose Segura? Segura, the shortstop who had played for the start of his career in the Milwaukee organization, traded to Arizona, traded to Seattle, and he's traded again. This time the Phillies, he will lock down the shortstop position. And Andrew McCutcheon was picked up on a three-year overpay, guaranteeing him $53 million. I think that was a real stretch. I think, in my opinion, you could have had him on a one-year $9 million, $8 or $9 million contract. They wanted him for three at 50 plus a $3 million buyout for the fourth season. So guarantee of $53 million on McCutcheon. Now, I think McCutcheon, in his prime, was a better player than Adam Jones. But think about it. Adam Jones is still on the market right now, and McCutcheon has three years $53 million guaranteed. The Mets, they've done a whole host of things this offseason. Picked up Robinson Cano. They picked up Wilson Ramos. They picked up Edwin Diaz, the bullet-like relief pitcher from Seattle, in the, in the Robinson Cano deal. They said, hey, we'll take Cano's salary, most of it, but we got to get something of value to make up for how much salary we're taking in and they got Edwin Diaz. They also picked up Urias Familia uh, and the catcher Wilson Ramos. I don't know if I mentioned him or not. Uh, they also picked up a really solid infielder, better on-base percentage guy, better batting average guy, and just as productive uh, as um, Todd Frazier, and that's Jed Lowry. So the Mets have uh, improved. Miami, not even worth talking about at this point. They are so far down the um, – down the food chain in that division, and partly hampered by the fact that their minor league, I heard this yesterday on XM Radio, 
their minor league system is not flush with a lot of players. And you would think if you're trading Giancarlo Stanton and Marcelo Suna and who else did they trade last year? They made three significant trades last year, and now they've traded JT Real Muto, and they may have gotten a decent return in, for Real Muto, but for the three guys they traded last year, they did not get a glowing return, and that's come back to haunt the organization. In the Central, in the Central, Milwaukee defeated the Cubs by one game in that division. Milwaukee's done very little to improve this offseason. They did pick up Yosemite Grandal. They lost Wade Miley. Those seem to be the biggest couple moves one way or another. Very surprising that they didn't, like Atlanta, sort of roll the dice a little bit and invest in, in this window that they have right now. Uh, the Cubs did virtually the same thing. I see little improvement in the Chicago Cubs other than the hope for return to form uh, now that he'll be back from uh, arm injury with you uh, Darvish. That could be a big, big uh, turnaround for them. But uh, I see very little improvement in the Chicago Cubs. The Cardinals, they finished – they had a really good July and August under Mike Shield, the new manager. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing it right. But they faded the last two weeks of the season. But they've picked up Paul Goldschmidt, a huge pickup uh, to go along with Marcelo Suna, who they picked up last year, who had a so-so season. And they get Carlos Martinez back from injury in that pitching staff. The Pirates, Pirates were up and down last year. They finished 82 and 79. They've lost their shortstop in Jody Mercer. Uh, they do get. Um, uh, Kang back, the third baseman, the Korean third baseman. Uh, he will be back uh, this season. Uh, they picked up Chris Archer. You remember that during the uh, latter part of the season, uh, right before the September 1st trade deadline. He did very little for them. They need a big bounce-back season from Chris Archer to hope they can finish over 500. because I'll tell you what, the division did get tougher. The Cincinnati Reds, who finished in last place, they're a 95-loss team. But look how they've reworked their bullpen, I mean their starting rotation. They picked up Tanner Roark from the Nationals. They picked up uh, Alex Woods from the Dodgers, and they picked up Sonny Gray from the Yankees. That's to go along with Yasiel Puig and Matt Kemp in their outfield. And they also picked up a, a solid left-hand arm in the bullpen in Zach Duke. So Cincinnati figures to be a little bit better. The Cubs in Milwaukee don't figure to be as good. Uh, I think you're looking at that division now maybe being won with 90 wins when Milwaukee had 96 last year. And I don't know that Milwaukee and the Cubs are capable of getting to that number I think the Cardinals can get to that number. They would be my favorite in that division. Out West, Los Angeles Dodgers win by a game over the game Colorado Rockies. Uh, and remember, they played in a play, play-in game to decide who was going to be the champion of that division. And um, um, the Dodgers won that, uh, that play-in uh, and were the champs of the West. Uh, Colorado then did go on to beat the Cubs and knock the Cubs out. But the Dodgers are are the number one team in the division. Colorado's second. Uh, they were a game apart last year. I would say the Dodgers, if they get a better season out of Clayton Kershaw and they get 170 to 180 innings from rookie Walker Bueller, 
I think the Dodgers are still too tough. But again, they're leading RBI guy. And remember Justin Turner and um, and what's his name uh, Seager, uh, the shortstop Corey Se- Corey Seager. Uh, where he was out ninety five percent of the year last year. Turner was out about a third of the season. But Matt Kemp was the leading RBI guy there last year with eighty five, and yet they didn't make any big move for. Uh, Michael Brantley, uh, Bryce Harper, or Machado. Um, they're hoping uh, that uh, A.J. Pollock is solid, but that's more like a 75 RBI guy. Grandell is gone. Uh, they're catching a suspect, so they haven't done much to really improve and really go for it. They did pick up Joe Kelly. Arizona has lost a couple key figures. The Giants are sort of regrouping right now. It'll be interesting how serious they are about signing Bryce Harper. And San Diego, uh, perpetually in the uh, bottom feeder there, uh, they lost 96 games last year. They don't figure to be a contender this year, although they're talking to both Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. Joining us right now is our, our beat writer. He's really quite a jack-of-all-trades. He covers everything for Press Box, and that is Todd Karpovich, and he does cover the Baltimore Orioles for us. And, Todd, before we talk baseball, are you at Hopkins today for that game between Loyola and Hopkins? Battle of Charles Street. Um, I'm the only one who still calls it that. I'm showing my age. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big one. It's a good, good rivalry between those two. And Loyola, I tell you, Loyola uh, has the look of a, a team that can make a run at the national championship this year. No Very question strong. about it. And they've got uh, probably the guy who could be the player of the year this year in Pat Spencer. Yes, sir. Yeah, he had a big game last week against Virginia. I expect him to have a big game today. Now, let me ask you a question. I, I know you don't analyze it. Uh, I know you do a lot of our lacrosse coverage stuff. But if if there was a spread on last week's Hopkins at Towson game, I <laughs> talked to Quint Kessinich, and Quint Kessinich said, "If yeah, and this we talked to, like sort of at halftime." But I said, yeah. if there was a spread on that game. What would Hopkins have been favored by? I said one and a half or two. He said it probably would have been more like four and a half, and yet they ended up getting blown out by Towson. Uh, was Hopkins just sort of not ready for the first game of the year, and do they figure to bounce back with a solid performance, or are they already uh, on the hot seat? Well, I talked to um, I talked to uh, Coach Petromalo, Mid middle of the week for for a press box story a follow up. He yeah. said um, they went home. They after that game, the coaches went back and watched tape for five hours. I mean, on Saturday after following the game, right? Um, and I think he got their attention in practice on Monday and Tuesday. I think they just they need uh, they need like some of the some of the guys. They need somebody to step up and be a leader. I think. Right. And I think it's going to happen. Um, I don't think they're going to have another clunker today, but I, again, I don't think they have enough depth to beat Loyola. Right. But again, so in other know, words, they not, may they may play a far better game, but start the season off zero and two. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? Hopkins got into the Big Ten because you know, and that's you know, you win the Big Ten, you get into the NCAA tournament. So that's really it. Kind it, it sort of shifts the focus of teams, you know, when they have conference play. Um, so, and I tell you what, there he he put together he put together a tough, unforgiving schedule. So Hopkins going to have. I mean, next week they got UNC, and then they got Princeton, then they got Syracuse. So they got they got a tough. They don't have any. They don't have any. They don't have any easy spots there. No, they do not. Uh, Tell me this now: that game is going to be on ESPN two tomorrow morning, the seventeenth. It's going to be on, but it's on ESPN U today. 
Uh, how does somebody watch? The, is that the one where you watch it online? ESPN. It should be your, your regular cable. Okay, it should be, it should one, be on regular one down cable. ESPN. All right, that sounds good. That game starts at two o'clock, and you can watch it on your computer on e, on. Excuse me, on TV at ESPNU. Mm-hmm. All right, Todd. I know you're not down in Sarasota, so um, uh, it puts us at a slight disadvantage. But I wanted to talk to you today, uh, and I know you're not a fantasy player per se, but if if you were and you know how fantasy is played. One of the things that's starting to pop up when I listen to some shows about this is what players would fantasy people when drafting their team or at an auction, what Orioles would they be interested in at this point in time? And the only ones that really pop into my head, and I'm, being, I'm talking offensively right now, would be Trey Mancini on a bounce back, VR because he can run and hit a little for power, and he might score some runs as well, and possibly Cedric Mullins. Am I missing anybody there? I think, uh, you know, I think uh, Villar is the highest ranked player in the top, if you look at the top 300 fantasy players, right? Um, at 102, followed by Mancini. Um, at 183, and they got Michael Gibbons up there. As a, well, I'm, I'm sticking just right now. I'm just sticking with the offensive players. We'll get the I pitching. Think Mullins and Mark Trumbo. Are, uh, and Trumbo, Trumbo is a guy. If he bounces back, could be maybe a top 80 player or something like That's that. And Chris Davis, another. He's the biggest wild card. He's not even ranked in the top 300, but he could. If he has a bounce-back gear, he could hit 40 homers. I'll tell you a funny story about Chris Davis. As we got to the draft last year in my league, I said I had a feeling that Chris was going to bounce back at least, you know, 25 homers, 80 RBIs, and hit 240, you know. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I said, you know what? If Chris Davis goes for, like, between 5 and $8, and remember, you got 260 to pick your old 23 players, I said I might just take him. He ended up early in his bidding. It started out really slow, and then I, it must have been a bunch of people, partly because he's in Baltimore, and that people have the memories of the 50 homers and the 49 homers and all that. Suddenly, he ended up going for like 17 or 18 dollars. No kidding. Now he's I'll not going to go. He's not going for that this year. No, but I'm taking him. You know, if I get a good deal on him, I'm taking him. You know? All right. All right. Now, you know, you know, he now, bounces back his 45 fingers for you and you get him for seven bucks. Right. Right. The problem is, Todd, and again, I know you're not an experienced fantasy player. You have to have, if you have him and he bats 160, you have to have like almost two, three thirty hitters to make up for that, if you yeah. know what I mean. <laughs> That's the flip side of the other day. That you know, is the, the flip challenge. side. Hey, the other day I'm listening to an interview, and I don't know if this made the wire services or not. Mike Elias was on with uh, Craig Mish and Jim Bowden, also on the Fantasy Channel, which I listen to a lot on XM this time of year. And he did about 10 or 12 minutes with them. And one of the things he alluded to was, and it's something that I've brought up on a couple shows, that the the Astros under Jeff Lunau with Mike Elias and Sig Meidel, they've been able over the last couple of years to not only pick good players to acquire in trades, they seem to have some built-in information or angles to quickly teach those players to, to make them perform better. And I'm talking about three people 
uh, individually uh, pitchers now. Justin mm-hmm. Justin Verlander, who I'm not going to say at the last year and a half with Detroit he looked like it was over, but he certainly did not look like a dominant pitcher. Then he, for the last year and two months, he's looked like one of the top five pitchers in baseball. Garrett right, Cole, so they pick up they pick up Garrett Cole, who goes from striking out eight batters per nine innings with Pittsburgh to striking out twelve batters per nine innings with Houston. And then relief pitcher Ryan Presley, they turned him into a real low-leverage guy, into a guy you could trust in the eighth inning last year. Um, with those, that little bit of background, might these analytics and what they can teach, might they help Alex Cobb, Dylan Bundy, and Andrew Kashner? Yeah, I think, you know, I, th- I think all three of those guys can benefit. It's weird. You look at Cobb and Kashner last year, they're basically the same pitcher. I mean, Cobb was 5-15, 4-9-0 ERA. Cashman was 4-15 with a 5.29 ERA. And then Bunny, you know, Bunny was 8-16. Bunny was, uh, I think it was 8-16, you no, know, with ERA over 5. Yeah, I think these guys, when they get, you know, and they're, they're, they're veteran guys, so I think, you know, they use analytics. They're going to be able to, you know, they do their research. You know, when they, go to, when they go into a game with a plan, you know, with each hitter, I, I think you're going to see a substantial improvement. On those three, and the Orioles are going to need those three to um to 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 have, you know to have big seasons, especially with so many questions on the back end of the rotation. So, so here's a quick question though: If those three improve, do they improve their chances of staying with the Baltimore Orioles, or do they merely improve to bring back prospects? In other words, this is one of the first times I could see a team that is in the rebuild mode like the Orioles. I could see them perhaps, if, especially in the case of Cobb and, and Bundy, if they really start off well and are pitching well into May, I see them becoming both very attractive additions to contenders. Oh, yeah, everybody's going to need pitching, you know, and especially if, and those guys, you know, those guys have track records. I think, you know, um, they're, they're, and they're, and the Orioles, you know, they're not young guys anymore. So the Orioles, you know, they could – they could unload those guys, you know, for prospects. But the thing is, you got to have pitching. So they, they really can't miss, you know, on, on what they get back, um, you know, as far as prospects. they got to have guys that are, you know, a year or two away because they're going to need guys to pitch. And they don't have a whole lot in the, in the system, you know, coming up right up to make, it, make an immediate impact. So it's, it's going to put them in a sort of a tough situation. Um, the key for the Orioles this year is have some of those other guys, you know, kind of step up, you know, David Hess's, you know, the world, and so, so, and so they can pitch every fifth day. So that was my next question. You mentioned David Hess. I'm thinking Josh Rogers, the guy they picked up from the Yankees, the left-hander, is a possibility. Yeah. I'm thinking Jeffrey Ramirez is a possibility. And is there, and I'm still thinking that, that maybe Miguel Castro, maybe this organization sees something in him that the Orioles, the Dan Duquette, Buck Showalter weren't ready to pull that trigger. I think they thought he was so valuable in the pen that they didn't want to muck it up, but he mucked it up himself in the pen. Might he be somebody they look to as a fifth starter? Yeah, I think they floated around the, the idea, you know, going to the Tampa Bay race route, you know. Right. They got so many bullpen arms and having, the, you know, just the, having a guy come in for three innings, that. You know, sort of like a bullpen game. You know, I, um, I, I think that's been floated around the Orioles. I don't know. I don't, you know, Tampa Bay showed that that sort of can work. You know, and if you don't have 
you know, the, the top, top you know, five solid starters, you're going to have the choice to go that route, you know. And teams are sort of embracing that. You know, baseball's a funny game, you know. It's, it, teams, it's a copycat league, and if one team's able to do it, you know, another team might try it. Um, but I, I wouldn't rule that out. We're talking with uh, Todd Karpovich, who covers the Orioles for Press Box, and he will be at the Loyola the Loyola Hopkins game at Homewood Field today that starts at 2 o'clock. It's available to watch on ESPNU, or you can watch it on ESPN2 tomorrow morning, but I don't know why you would want to do that. By the way, Maryland is at Michigan today at noon, right after the bat around. Uh, Maryland basketball. Maryland basketball yeah. is, yes, I wanted to be clear. And then uh, UMass, what is it, UMass Lowell is, is playing at uh, UMBC today? No, UMBC uh, lost to Navy yesterday. I mean, oh, basketball. You're still on basketball. Basketball. Yeah. 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 They're playing yeah. UMass Lowell, right? Yes, yes. Okay. And I understand from Gary Stein that UMass Lowell is a pretty good team, so that could be an interesting game to attend out there at uh, UMBC, the event center out there. I tell you, Odom's doing a heck of a job over there, isn't he? He really is. Really is. Man, I that know, team he's got. I know one coach who doesn't want to face him in the uh, NCAAs, and that's Tony Bennett. And the uh, Virginia Cavaliers. And the Virginia <laughs> yeah. Cavaliers. Hey, uh, are you following NCAA basketball closely? I haven't. I'm not into that mode fully yet. You yeah, know, I've been following Maryland mostly. Yeah, you'll be seeing the side. I've I got to tell you, I you know I'm 66 years old now, Todd. So when I watch sports, not a lot surprises me or excites me. But every so often, you get like a a, Duster, a Buster Douglas over Mike Tyson. Uh, type of event. The other night, uh, I think it was Wednesday night, I tuned in Duke and Louisville, which I thought yeah. was going to be a very good game because Duke had just won a very hard-fought battle over UVA at Charlottesville. And I said, you know what? They're probably going to, young team like that, they're probably going to be a little down, not down in the dumps, but just they got up for UVA Hard, hard to bounce back to play a tough game like that. Louisville gets out leading at the half by nine. They open up the second half. They open it up to 14-15 with 11 minutes to go. Louisville was up by 23 points. 23, yeah. yeah. And I was about to turn it and say, you know what? I'm watching this uh, binge-watching this Netflix series. Let me turn that on. And I said, you know what, let me hold this for another couple minutes. And darn if, like, in the next two minutes, they cut it from 23 to 14. And then by the time there were five minutes left in the game, it was like an eight-point game. And they ended up outscoring them, I think, 32 to 7 down the stretch to win the game going away. Duke. Yeah, that put, that put the rest of the country on notice, didn't it? I really Duke. do. You know, as a lot of people think it's real easy to just – dismiss Duke because there are so many one-and-dones on that team and say, ah, they're too young. But I'll tell you something, beating UVA and Louisville and the way they beat Louisville, I, I, I'm not, uh, you know, it's not a bulletin that they're a contender, but I think they really stamp themselves as by far a favorite now uh, to, to perhaps win the, another NCAA championship. If they're clicking, I don't see anybody beating them. You know yeah. what I mean? But again, it only takes um, you only got to stumble once in March, and your season's over. You yeah. know, so that's well, it. You know, and it's 
You know, March Madness, you know, we've seen upsets every year, so I'll you t- never know. I'll tell you one team, though, that was uh, really impressive, and even though UVA has lost twice to Duke, UVA had about a six- or seven-point lead for much of the game against Carolina. That was, I think it was at the Dean Dome. And then UNC, about three minutes into the second half, caught up, and with about 11 minutes to go, they opened up about a six six or seven-point lead. And everybody, yeah, I'm telling you, you thought that UVA was dead. And UVA battled back and not only won the game, they won by six or seven points. Yeah, I mean, I think they can make a deep run, too. Yeah. Um, and big Maryland, Maryland wins today. They get 20 wins. So they, I think, you know, but it's going to be tough. To win. It's going to be a tough game for them today. Yeah, they've got, they were they were very, not fortunate. They played a solid second half to beat Purdue Tuesday night. And now they've got uh, Michigan on the road, Iowa on the road, and then I think they come home and play Michigan again. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. The Big Ten's good this year. Yeah. All right. Before we let you go, let's uh, chit chat for a minute or two. You alluded to the fact that Mike Givens, Michael Givens, is pretty high up on fantasy charts. You know, because he figures to get whatever saves the Orioles get this year, he figures to be the guy. Yeah. The, sure. The bullpen. Um, you start off with uh, Michael Givens. Now mm-hmm. you've got a comebacking Richard Blyer, who I think people forget had an earned run average under two last year when he uh, tore that lat muscle in his back, yeah, his well, upper yeah. back. And then you have Tanner Scott, who while the numbers like the ERA and the whip, aren't, they don't pop out at you. I saw some major strides by that kid, and I'm thinking again, with some of the analytical information that he gets, they may turn him into a bit of a monster. Yeah, yeah, another, another wild card in that bullpen. You know, another guy. You know, he has his detractors. So Mike Wright. You know, mm-hmm. if, if he can give him a couple of innings, you know, out of the bullpen, and again with analytics kind of settle down, you know, he, he could be a, he could be an effective guy. Out of there. You know, you know, Mike Wright at one point last year, Todd, and the numbers wouldn't say this, but there was a. Th- and this wasn't a 10 or 11 innings. This was about a 36-inning stretch from mid-May until the team traded um, O'Day, which I know O'Day wasn't pitching, but they traded O'Day in Britain, and he really had a place, a high-leverage position, which he sort of blew the last month of the season or six weeks of the season. But from mid-May to mid-July – his his numbers were pretty impressive. He had an earned run average in the twos. Yeah, I think he has. I think he has the mechanics and he has the the the, the, uh, the physical tools to do it. I think it's a, he's got some. I think it's some, some mental things he's got to overcome. Got to keep his confidence going. Yeah. And again, I think the new this new staff. He's going to be one guy who really benefits from this new staff. I agree, and I think he could be. You talk about having using the closer. I mean the opener. And you talk about Mike Wright and maybe a Castro as guys who could open games uh, could be very interesting. Yeah, you know, if, 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 and they, they might be forced to go that to go that route. So it'll, 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 we'll see. All right, we're talking with Todd Karpovich. Todd, anything else of note yet? Do you expect the Orioles? They made one sort of, um, and I won't call it a lofty investment. Uh, I think they invested eight hundred thousand dollars on Nate Carnes. Now, I've had my eye on Carnes for a couple of years. If you look through the minor league record and the brief major league numbers, because he's not a guy who stays healthy, um, his numbers 
sort of pop out at you as being very impressive, especially the strikeouts per nine innings. Um, but yet they're talking about him as being a, a starting pitcher, whereas I would see him much more beneficial, almost like the way um, Mike um, – Oh God, who's the Bud Norris? The way Bud Norris is reinvented as a closer, I think Carnes would be a much better relief pitcher. Yeah, I think he's a he has a, he has a history of being a starter, and uh, I, I think it's right. They're going to compete, but I agree with you. He might be more effective coming out of that but coming out of that bullpen. And um, th- we'll see. He has to stay healthy. He has to yep. stay healthy. That's a challenge. That's part of my reason thinking he'd have a chance to stay healthy better coming out of the pen than trying to jump. I mean, what's the upside? He pitched zero innings at the major league level last year. Last so zero, so yeah. is, is and he missed, I think, remember he's he's one of these guys that had the thoracic, thoracic outlet syndrome surgery where they take a rib, they remove part of a rib uh, to, to change your circulation and freedom of motion there. But the, yeah. um, the comebacks from those have been very questionable. Matt Harvey had that, a couple other pretty noted pitchers. But here's my point. They're saying, well, we think he can come in and be an innings eater. Well, you go from zero, what's the most you're hoping for is maybe like 80 or 90 innings? That's right, yeah. And in fact, he didn't pitch at all last year. Right, so I'm I'm thinking maybe you keep him healthy all year by pitching him 50 or 60 innings out of the pen or maybe as the opener. Um, I, I I think that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, it does. But no, if you remember, he signed that. He signed that incentive clause. If he gets two hundred innings, he gets or whatever innings he gets an extra another two hundred thousand dollars. I mean, he so, so, him, no, he's not for, going from zero to two hundred innings. I, uh, I don't see it either. Yeah. No All way. right. Hey, Todd, we really appreciate your uh, jumping into the fray as our beat writer for the Orioles. You did it last year after Dubroff left to, to take over BaltimoreBaseball.com, doing a solid job, and we appreciate your contributions on, all, you, on all sports. You are a, uh, a jack-of-all-trades, a master of all of them, too. All right. Thank you so much. All right, Todd. Take care. You there there you. you have it, Todd Karpovich. And, uh, by the way, I was remiss at the beginning of the show. I didn't like or share the show until about 10 minutes in. I, I get... I get so flustered at the beginning of the show when I'm here by myself because I got to do all the talking. I mean, Brittany can show, show prove you can talk. Hello, Stan. Very good. Yeah, Very thank good. you. Thank you do you. a great job. Of, no, but you know what I mean. I'm hosting the show, and when I don't have Craig to bounce off, I it's hard for me to go over and pay attention to doing the technology stuff. Typical Craig Heist leaves yep. you hanging. Hey, t- no question about <laughs> it. Only that Craig let me know he was going to leave me hanging for three weeks. Um, but I'm urging all of you that might be tuning in on Facebook Live right now or um, listening on uh, on uh, com slash radio or watching on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. We um, urge you to like us and share us, okay? We'd really appreciate that if you like us and share us. All right? want to remind you that Mike Shallon is going to join us in just a couple minutes. Mike Boddicker joins in at 11.05. And then at 11.35, we do our first deep dive of the season into Howard Bender. Uh, well, we're not doing a deep dive into Howard Bender. We're deep doing the deep dive 
into fantasy baseball with the owner of FantasyAlarm.com, and that is the one, the only, Howard Bender. He joins us at 11.35, and we hope to have some of his contributors joining the show on a more regular basis um, over the next two months as we get ready for fantasy baseball. Joining us right now is a very fine columnist with the um, New Hampshire Union leader. Uh, he worked very briefly at Forbes.com, uh, but they didn't like his style. I'm just kidding. Uh, and he's also an official scorer at Fenway Park, and he's my friend, Mike Shallon. He joins us from Boston. How are you, Michael? And, and, and I'm old enough to remember Forbes Field. So um, there you go. And, you know, speaking of being old enough, uh, I, I turned 65 this week. I will turn 65 this week. And um, uh, one of the benefits of being old is that you get the AARP magazine in the mail. Right. And, and, and I actually got a note out of the AARP uh, magazine this week. Right. It's kind of a where are they now on Andre Dawson. Wow, he and now is he is he over sixty now? Andre sixty four. Sixty four. And Andre is a funeral director in Miami. That's a great. That's that's a good one. That's a good isn't one. That, isn't that something? He's also. It's also. This is also the weekend of the of the Andre Dawson Classic, where the um, black universities get together for Black History Month. And there's the, a tournament in uh, in Miami, right? In Miami. I think it's. I think it's actually in New Orleans. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, it's interesting. Now, you just hit me with that, and I'm going, who else was a funeral director? He wasn't a funeral director, but you remember what used to be on Richie Hebner's baseball card on the back? Oh, he was great. He was a grave digger. Grave digger during the offseason. Yeah, it was the family business. That's uh, Really? I did not know yeah. that. Yeah. Richie. The, thing, the, the two things notable about Richie Hebner, aside from being a very good baseball player, yes, he until, was. He got to the, until he got to New York anyway, but he. Um, he hated New York City. I mean, with a passion. I remember being on the elevator with him in, uh, at the Grand Hyatt in New York, and he says, my God, I got four days in this place. I can't believe it. He hated, he hated New York City. Wow. Oh, my goodness. And that's probably had a lot to do with why he was so terrible when he played with the Mets. Now, he, he also, his, the bulk of his career was with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yep, and yep. then he played for the Phillies, and he ended with the Mets. But, you know, he resurfaced in my life briefly. I'm not going to say that I had any long chats with him or not, but he was the batting coach with the um, uh, Durham Bulls when I moved to Durham in 2001. Oh. Joe Coleman was the pitching coach, Joe mm-hmm. Coleman Jr., who yep. who's the one – there are two graduates – when I say graduates, I use that term loosely – that played at Ted Williams Baseball Camp where I uh-huh. attended in 1967. There are two people that played there, made it to the major leagues. One was Joe Coleman. The other was Stan Thomas. You remember him? Yeah, I remember Stan Thomas. I remember Coleman was a 20-game winner, wasn't he? I think he was with the Tigers one year. Yep. I, yep. Or at least he, he, was a good, he was a solid pitcher. But he was the yes, pitching was. coach, and Hebner was the batting coach. I'll tell you something funny. Um, you know, we and this is not funny, we lost Frank Robinson – about ten days ago, and do you yeah. have any Frank uh, memories or stories? You know, it, it, my my memories of Frank. You know, I, I think I have a similar story than than other people uh, uh, do because Frank, as you know, was tough to to get to know. Yep, and he came across as very brusque, very uh, rude sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but 
when he when he became an an a, a, a an MLB executive, I would I run in, I run into him like you know on the field before All Star games or whatever, right? And and he he was the type of guy that once he knew you, he knew you, mm-hmm. and 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 was very. Um, I don't know. I, I look forward. In fact, I think I have a, an old picture somewhere of me on the field with him, um, not put, not posed or anything. Just right. We happen to be in the same picture, and you know. And I, I agree with what a lot of the people said uh, is that Frank was bigger than life. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of it had to do with his stature because he just he looked like a statue if you looked at him, and he was straight up and down, and you know. Uh, uh, he, he just looked like no other baseball player that I've ever seen. And I think people also forget how great a baseball player he was. Yep. And um, that's the thing that's that, that, and, and I did think, like Ted, I did think of him as being bigger than life. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is I'm having Mike Boddicker on at 11.05 because I remember Mike, uh, and I, I remember Mike pitched for Frank in 1988 here briefly before the trade to the Red Sox for Kurt Schilling and uh, Brady Anderson. But yep. then then Mike quickly reminded me, he says, you know, I pitched for him in Rochester in 87. How many managers with his resume, both as a player already and a major league manager, he had managed at two locations, would yep. go back to AAA to manage again? The, today's managers would never do that. No. Now, he was he was just he was a different kind of cat. He just um, well he'll be he'll be sorely missed. He, so, really, he, he, he handled the baseball um, the baseball uh, discipline for a while. And if you if you listen to the to the uh, folklore of him as a player, uh, there was one you know infamous story. I guess was that Frank would pick up two handfuls of dirt. At first base, mm-hmm. and and the dirt would fly up in the in the second baseman's face when he was making the double play. <laughs> uh, Frank played the game hard, yep. you know, and, yep. and uh, you know a lot of that stuff gets. Um, well, by the way, Joe Coleman won twenty games twice. Twice, wow! I got his record in front of me from nineteen seventy one to nineteen seventy three. Joe Coleman was both with the Tigers, right? Yeah, sixty. He was sixty two and thirty eight. Right in those in those three years, he won twenty in seventy one, and he won twenty three games in nineteen seventy three. Yeah, they picked him up in the Denny McLean trade along with Eddie Brinkman. Right. Yeah. Yep, because yep. he was a, he was on bad Washington teams. He had a losing record. Yep. Every year in Washington, which everybody did, he was eight and nine, twelve and sixteen, twelve and thirteen, eight and twelve. And, and his father His father played in the big leagues briefly, right? He had a cup of coffee. I believe, I believe he did. Yeah. Yep. That came as a as a as a uh, footnote. So Joe Coleman, to... if I recall correctly, the reason Coleman pitched uh, played at Ted Williams baseball camp is because his father may have been on the staff at the camp because that camp okay. wasn't cheap, uh, and I have a feeling his father worked on Ted's staff there. I attended in 1967. Coleman was already on his way to the big leagues or in the big leagues uh, briefly, but Stan Thomas was there. He was like one of the senior campers uh, when I was there, and I was 15 years old in 1967. First time Mm -hmm. I ever saw Fenway Park. They took us uh, a day trip to Fenway Park, but Frank Robinson was out with the double vision from the uh, collision with Al Weiss, 
and Kurt Moten was playing left field for the uh, oh, Baltimore yeah, Orioles that day. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, since we since we continue to reminisce, Joe, Joe Coleman Senior was an original Oriole. Really, in '54. Yeah, with with Sam with Sam Mealy. He was thirteen and seventeen in nineteen fifty four. Wow, that's great, great stuff. Now here's yeah. the, here's the point about the Frank Robinson managing thing, and it also shows you from nineteen eighty seven when Frank Robinson was the manager at AAA to two thousand one or two when I'm down in Durham and Joe Coleman's the pitching coach and Richie Hebner's the batting coach. And I forget the name of the the manager. Was it Bill Campbell or Bill? Oh God, I can't remember his name. Anyway, but the point of this story is when I asked Potter, I said, "So, so he was your manager?" I said, "Who was your pitching coach?" He goes, "We didn't have pitching coaches back then." Right. Right. When did a when did teams start placing automatically a pitching coach and a batting coach at every minor league uh, level? Because it that, was certainly it was certainly during or just after my tenure as a full time baseball writer. Right, so it's in the nineties. They would have yeah, because they would have a roving pitching instructor. Right, right, right. And he and he would make his way because a lot of a lot of the like especially a franchise like the Orioles had their teams all in the same general area. Right, and it was easy for the pitching coach to just go place to place. Hey, I wanted to spin back to the Boston Red Sox for a second. So I'm reading MLB trade. We're talking to Mike Shallon. He writes for the New Hampshire Union Leader. He's a columnist there. He also writes books. And by the way, congratulations. Is it anniversary number six on your Don Mattingly book? Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, a picture a picture showed up on you know on Facebook the yeah. other day reminding me that your friend Mike Shallon posted this six years ago. Uh, how did that book do the the Don Mattingly book? Oh, it, you know, it did like most sports books. It did okay. You it know, did I mean, okay, but it unless, did. unless you're John, unless you're John Feinstein or you're you know whatever, right? Uh, we 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 do books purely for the love of the craft. For the love <laughs> of the craft. And how's the hometown team doing? The same. Stu- All right. You no, know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to comment on the uh, how our publisher handled the book, but um, yeah, yeah, we're very proud of the project. Well, I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one thing. I have a young lady that went to Yale University, and her boyfriend, significant other, uh, is a Red Sox and Patriot and Celtic and Bruin fan, and they live here in Baltimore. And uh, he he's done a number of things for us here at Press Box, and his and his. And Jen, his wife and girlfriend uh, slash uh, significant other, she's done a number of things. I wanted to get him a special gift, and I bought him that uh, copy of that book. And sometime I'll try and have him come up and find you at Fenway Park to autograph it. But he absolutely, and this is a lifelong Red Sox fan, he absolutely loved that book, The Hometown Team. Well, I appreciate hearing that. All right. Now, Getting back to the Red Sox, I'm yeah. reading MLB dot trade rumors this morning, and it says they, the Red Sox and Xander Bogarts didn't really gain any traction on some extension talks, and then it said it's a possibility in light of the way the free agent market has gone that maybe they can restart something. Do you expect not necessarily Bogarts, but some players that are on the precipice of free agency? That they may be more inclined to to almost proactively 
reach out to their clubs to try and start uh, talking about a contract extension rather than going into free agency? Well, it happened twice this week yep. with uh, Nola, Nola and Severino. Right. Um, both very um, uh, team-friendly deals, no question about it. It removes that, 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 that unknown of, of arbitration. You know, I remember Marvin Miller talking about how it was actually the owner's idea to come up with, with, uh, with uh, arbitration. And, and uh, Marvin sat there like the, like, you know, the, the, the villain, you know, twir- twiddling his mustache because he was so happy to hear them say that. Right. Because he knew what it would lead to. And, um, uh, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of that. I think there already is. In fact, the Twins did it this week with two guys, too. They did um, it with, they bought out some arbitration on Max yeah. Kepler and Jorge uh, Polanco, George Polanco. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. How about guys like Bogarts, who, this is Bogarts last year before free agency, Anthony Rendon. Might they look around and really say, you know what, uh, the security of a five-year, 90 or $100 million contract it's a lot better than betting on a $200 million contract. Well, I think with the Stars, you're going to see the teams doing that. Right. And, and, and the player's not going for it. You know, there's still, there's still that um, hovering uh, uh, players association mm-hmm. where you can't give in to, uh, to a lower deal. And that's, that, you know, you see Harper and Machado out, still out there. Right. Uh, there's there's a uh, there's a uh, bar a norm if you will that if you take less then the owners win so I don't you know I, now first of all I don't I consider Arenado much on a much higher plane than than Bogarts and, and Zander's a very good player um, but the, the Red Sox are in a situation where it's going to be interesting to see how many of these guys they can in fact take care of you know because Mookie's already at twenty million right. And he's got another. Uh, he's got another arbitration year to come. So, um, it, it's. Uh, in fact, I was reading uh, my old friend Murray Chass. You know, he writes uh, his own kind of his own website column, and to him, this whole thing sounds like collusion all over again. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not surprised to hear him say that because you know Murray was a Murray was he, right in the heart of that. Yeah, yeah, he was a big union guy, yep. and and. Uh, uh, some of this stuff is a little shady to me, but I understand it. I mean, I understand they're trying to make market correction, but you know, when you see these guys that are a hundred players or whatever that are still out there, and it's the you know uh, the Marlon Gonzalez's of the world who are really suffering, yeah. you know, and and uh, you know Harper and Machado are going to settle for some kind of deals at some point, right? And they're going to get they're going to get a lot of money. You know, yeah, but but are there as much as they wanted? But you know, there are a whole host of players at that level, at Marwin Gonzalez, and down a notch or two that should yeah. be in camps right now. There's no question exactly. about it. Yeah, because not only not only are these guys um, valuable to your team, right? But they're not as naturally talented as Harper and Machado, so they need they need to get in there and get the right bats. And and you, you saw it with a lot of guys last year, pitchers included, like like Cobb in Baltimore, guys that, that came in late didn't do well. You know, players love to kind of make fun of spring training, and by the fifth day they're ready to go and all this other nonsense. But the fact of the matter is, they need those practice games to get ready for the real thing, and and it's uh, it's hurting every one of them. 
I'll give you. Teams. I'll give you a yeah. good. I'll give you a good column to write. And I don't know whether you. I, I'm guessing you know this. But have you read much on the new lawyer that uh, MLB uh, PA has hired, Bruce Meyer? No. Start doing a little research on that. This is the toughest negotiator they've had since Don Fear left. Mm-hmm. Uh, they brought him in. He's had extensive uh, experience in the NHL and other leagues. And they, they, you know, there's no question that Tony Clark got his hat handed to him by uh, Rob Manfred. Yeah. Uh, and I think that'd be an interesting column this time of year right now because I found it fascinating, and I wonder if you did, uh, Mike, and we're talking with Mike Shallon of the New Hampshire Union Leaders, also official scorer at Fenway Park for about half their games there, is we've still got three more seasons under this basic agreement yet the own yet management actually reached out to the players association almost anticipating that this is going to be a hard nut to crack in three years and they, they've started a dialogue now uh, you know with some rule changes and some things like that clearly they're not they're not hitting the major issues. But I think the sign, the fact that they're reaching out three years early and got a quick response from the union with, hey, we like this, we don't like that, uh, I think it's actually a good, a positive sign because clearly this next basic agreement is going to have a lot of changes to it. I, I hate to say this, and I hate to rain on your parade, but I disagree. I think, um, I think storm clouds are coming. And, um, I wrote that. I wrote that column for uh, another publication we have uh, called Jaymore here in Baltimore, and it was the uh, wind, the winds of war. And mm-hmm. as I was writing that column, that's when MLB was reaching out to the Players Association. I think, I think they they realize there's so much danger three years down the road that they may try and get an opener in this thing. And make institute a couple changes and have some dialogue. Well, you know, a lot of that depends on what get in, what gets instituted and what gets negotiated. Which right, is, which is why, which you know, I thought that the um, uh, the DH thing, which I've long been against the DH, but it is it is time to have one yeah one rule for for all of baseball uh, that can't happen until the new basic agreement that tells you right there that there's going to be a contentious negotiation because you know with with that is going to be probably and one of the proposals too is a 26 man roster well yep. you're dealing with you're dealing with uh you know with the dh is going to be a guy who's not going to be making the minimum probably and, and right adding, i think you, another salary. i think you're talking about adding 45 new jobs to the uh to the union uh, and i think that the players are going to like that and grab onto that thread and pull in some other areas. Mike, I'd yep. love to talk more about this. Can we do it in a few weeks? Anytime. All right. Mike Shallon, New Hampshire Union leader. You can read his column online, and he also is the official scorer at Fenway Park, and he's a friend of the show. Thank you very much, Mike. Take care, sir. Appreciate it. All right. Um, cost us in. I'm supposed to be going out there tonight, I think. I think I'm going to the Costas in tonight, 4100 North Point Boulevard. On uh, it's a, just a tremendous place. I know its biggest reputation as is one of the best crab houses in town. And yeah, there's no question you can get 
Maryland-style tasting crabs, even though they most of them come from Texas or Louisiana, but they've got great seasoning on those crabs. They've got fantastic crab cakes. They mail crabs and crab cakes all over the country, all over the world, in fact. Uh, but they also are the home of some great specials. On Monday night is is rib night, right? I think so, Tuesday yeah. night is crab cake night. Yeah. Wednesday night is steak night. Thursday night is lobster night. I always forget that for that rib night. That's Monday night. How can but you forget about ribs? I They're so good. I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I have a thing with the thoracic outlet syndrome surgery where they remove a rib. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking about. Anyway, they got great specials every night of the week. Friday night, uh, Pete Triantophilus puts together a whole, whole host of specials. Uh, but any night of the week, the Costas Inn, they've got entertainment, they've got bands there, um, and uh, just a family atmosphere, 4100 North Point Boulevard. Don't forget their phone number, 410-477-1975, and it's a great place to buy a, cr- um, a um, gift card for, for anybody. Like if I wanted to give Brittany a, a card for her birthday or something like that, her 30th birthday. I am not that old. No, I, n- I didn't say you were. <laughs> I said for your 30th birthday, like so, in eight or nine years. Yeah, yeah. okay. I might get you a card then oh, thanks. if I know you. Thanks. Then. All right, anyway, the Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. We'll be back. Mike Boddicker joins us in just a minute. Kick off President's Day weekend with the Maryland Jockey Club at Laurel Park's 8th Annual Winter Carnival. Join us on Saturday, February 16th for a day of family-friendly fun, live thoroughbred racing, and giveaways for program purchasers while supplies last. Check out one-of-a-kind ice sculptures and carve out your own prize from our six-foot-tall ice wall. The fun continues with Sunday brunch and live racing through Monday, February 18th. Crush those winter blues and join us at Laurel Park's Winter Carnival. You'll be glad you did. Doors open at 11 a.m. Post time 1230. We'll see One third of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking, then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. Always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com. What a sweet time to see our friend Steve at his Chick-fil-A restaurant in Nottingham Square. The chocolate milkshakes are the way they should be at Chick-fil-A, thick and chocolatey. But so is the peppermint chocolate chip milkshake, thick, chocolatey, and pepperminty. The strawberry milkshake is thick and very strawberry-y like it's supposed to be. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square also has frosted coffee and ice-cold vanilla shakes. Plus, there's a cookies and cream milkshake. Cookies and cream. The Chick-fil-A sandwich is the best. The waffle fries are amazing. And at Steve's Chick-fil-A in Nottingham Square, his folks come around to check on you if you dine in. They refilled my drink for nothing the last time I was there. Do not leave hungry. Top off your next meal at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square with something sweet. Shakes, cones, and cookies. All done the way you'd expect from Chick-fil-A perfectly. Join Chick-fil-A 1 and score points every time you order for free stuff. Our Chick-fil-A is on Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Respect. It's more than a word. 
In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, we offer one more salute to Joe Flacco as his tenure in Baltimore comes to a close. Prominent media members and public figures, including Mayor Catherine Pugh, share their thoughts on what Flacco has meant to the city. Also inside, you'll find our annual comprehensive college lacrosse preview. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and at PressBoxOnline.com. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. This is former Terp AJ Francis, just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo, Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled Uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you on my list. This is your boy, Y2AJ, here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. And we are back on the Battle Round on this Saturday morning, the 16th of February. Joining me now is uh, one of my favorite pitchers uh, that I've ever had the privilege to watch when he was at the height of his uh, expertise at uh, getting hitters out, and that is uh, number 52, Mike Boddicker. Mike, thank you for joining us for a few minutes today. Oh, my pleasure. Mike, uh, Mike, uh, we lost a a great man uh, about 10 days ago in these parts, and uh, I was thinking back, not that I'm going to do it every week or anything, but I said, you know, I I haven't had Mike on the show in a while, and I know Mike pitched for him briefly in 1988 before the big trade that sent you to Boston, but then you reminded me that you he you pitched for him in 1987 at Rochester when he was the manager. Oh, I pitched for him. Uh, let me see. We, uh, Part 86 too. Seven, seven, 78. 78. Okay. Yeah, the year I got drafted, I, I went from rookie ball to double A to triple-A for a month, Okay, and Frank was a manager up there at the time. I pitched for a month there, and uh, it, was, it was a total awe. I mean, think about it. Just drafted and working your way up through the ranks. Next thing you know, you're in the presence of Frank Robinson. It's, it was kind of intimidating is what it was. We're, we're talking with Mike Boddicker and remembering Frank Robinson. Now you now in '87 you were at Rochester. Mm-hmm. Was he the manager at Rochester in '87? No, '87. I was. Uh, that was the '87. You know, '87. I was still at Baltimore. 
Correct. It was a 78. It uh, was my first year. I signed in 78 and made it to AAA my first year. Right. And uh, and then I did not have any contact with, with Frank anywhere along the line until uh, he took over for Rip Senior. And was he, he was on the staff at the beginning of that season, right? Was he on yes. Cal's uh, uh, coaching staff? I think he was. Okay. I, I don't remember. Jeez, uh, I'm, I'm 100 years old. I have to ask me if I ever pitched against Babe Ruth. So. I got the same I got um, the same problem going on, Mike. I'm 66 <laughs> now, so I'm no spring chicken either. Yeah, I have a tough time remembering yesterday. So What, what do you remember most about him as a manager, though? A uh, very knowledgeable baseball man. Um, he, he was tough. He was tough, and he tried to... I think he, he, he tried to teach young kids by intimidation. And an Earl was kind of like that. Mm-hmm. He wanted to see what you were made out of, to see if you could handle it, handle the heat, you know? Yep. And uh, I think that's why Frank and I kind of got along, because I didn't back down to anything. And, um, and, and Earl wanted to see that out of you, too. And if you couldn't handle it, you were gone. That was it, so... Who was your man? Very smart baseball guy. Yeah, and right. and senior, uh, you know, when you reflect on Cal Senior, and I'm sure you don't have a negative thing to say about Cal Senior, but he was. Everybody you talk to says he was an incredible baseball man, but yet an incredible baseball man doesn't necessarily equal a good manager, does it? Well, Cal Senior had a just a brief stint with a team that was not very good to be right. honest with you Stan we weren't very good right and we wasn't too fair I don't think didn't fair anybody either so uh, it was it was just one of those things we had we had some bad they had a bad team and, yeah uh, you could have thrown anybody out there to manage and it was a difficult time or open to do it yeah, he'd win yes so no question about it you now, when you were traded to the Boston Red Sox for Kurt Schilling and Brady Anderson, that was 1988, correct? Yes, yes, it was. And who was your manager in Boston? Was, uh, it, was it McNamara? Joe Morgan. Joe nope, Morgan. Joe Morgan. Morgan. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not the player, the manager, Joe no, Morgan. Yep. No, no, the skipper from Walpole, yep. Massachusetts. Yeah. And what was pitching in Fenway Park like in those days? Uh, it, it was, it was easy because we had such a good team. I mean, you could, you could make a mistake and come into the dugout and the guys would say, Hey, don't worry about it. Well, <laughs> we're going to score at least five more. And, uh, it kind of made, made it easy for you. Basically what you did is you faced the hitter and you never turned around and looked at the green monster or a pesky pole, because if you worried about that stuff, you were in trouble. You know the the monster took away home runs and gave home runs. So basically, it was it was a wash, and uh, you just dealt with it. But I had, I mean, I got traded over to a fabulous Red Sox team, so it made it pretty easy. Yeah, we're talking with Mike Boddicker, and I'm looking at that team right now: Wade Boggs, Mike Greenwell, Ellis Burks, <laughs> Dwight Evans, and still Jim Rice was on that team, sort of yeah. winding down. But uh, yeah, and Jody Reed, Jody Reed led the league in doubles. Uh, he was fabulous. I mean, we just we had a really good team. <laughs> now, when when you saw when you saw the way Wade Boggs played at that point in time, and again, you're talking about 45 doubles, six triples, five home runs. 
Did you think he was going to be the hitter he was? I mean, he had 214 hits that year. Yeah, well, Wade was uh, he was, he was a hit machine, and he did everything by the book every day the same. He was just locked in, and uh, I faced Wade in, in the minor leagues. I faced a lot of those guys in the minor leagues. Uh, when I was in Rochester, and he was with Bob Puckett, so I knew a lot of the guys, and friends with a lot of the guys. So um, transition was easy, and I knew they could play because I faced them. I knew they could hit. Well, I'm looking at that pitching staff that you were part of that year, and you, were, of course, were brought over to sort of buoy the team's chances to make the postseason. But Roger Clemens was on that team, won 18 games. Bruce mm-hmm. Hurst won 18 games. And then it was Oil Can Boyd, Mike Smithson, you, and Jeff Sellers rounded out the starting rotation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and... and- you know, you, as, a, as a pitcher, you really didn't need to worry about a whole lot because our run production was tremendous. So you just went out there and, and, and tried to keep it. Back then, it was a different story, though, Stan, because, you know, if you had an ERA above three and a half, uh, it was an embarrassment. Now, <laughs> now that's an awesome ERA. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's a whole different era. No, it's a whole different ball game at this point. Yeah, Mike, we're talking with Mike Boddicker, ex-Oriole pitcher, and um, now lives out in Kansas City. Neither the Kansas City Royals or the Baltimore Orioles, uh, both teams lost over 100 games last year. The Royals <laughs> won about 10 or 11 more than the Orioles and finished uh, with 104 losses. The Orioles uh, lost 115 last year. Uh, but the Royals seem to, uh, while I won't say they fully reloaded, they haven't given into an, an entire rebuild, have they? Um, no, because you you have some some. I think Dayton understands. Dayton Moore, our GM, understands. You have to have the mix of veterans uh, that are leaders. I mean, the guys that can run a clubhouse and and the young guys and. Even though our minor league system is a little in disarray, and so are the Orioles. I mean, yep. you you got to look at it and be honest. It is, and uh, it's you have to have that mixture in order to teach young kids. You know, it might only be a stopgap, but you have to have those people in there to lead. And, and you know, we have our, our Alex Gordons and, and Salvador Perez. Mm-hmm. Uh, both those guys. Uh, Alex Leeds, by example, Salvador's, he, he can control the clubhouse, so he, he everybody looks up to him, great ball player. So it, it makes it, the transition is there if we have anybody to come up to do it, or if we have the guys they think that can do it. I'm still very skeptical, um, and a lot of it is just over the past 10 years, the scouting and the analytics and all the other stuff, they're going on, you know, punching a name into the computer and saying, okay, this guy should be, um, you know, athletic-wise. We're going for an athlete, and we can teach him. You know what? Baseball is a tough game to teach. <laughs> Either you know or you don't. And uh, I've heard too many times, I can teach this guy to hit, or I can, we can teach this guy to pitch. No. No, it doesn't work that It's not that easy. And uh, all of a sudden, your minor leagues, you get a whole bunch of those guys who are, I guess, athletes. Yeah. That they're going to, 
you're looking for a diamond in the rough, and it doesn't happen very often. And all of a sudden, you've got a whole minor league system clogged up with these kind of people, and you don't have any baseball players. How much does and it makes it difficult? How much does losing a player of the quality of your Dano Ventura through a tragic car accident down in his home uh, country, how much does that set an organization back that's struggling to kind of keep it together a little bit anyway, and then you take somebody with his ability and suddenly he's no longer potentially an answer? Yeah, it really threw a wrench into everything. It was a tragic loss, obviously, to a young man, uh, first of all. But, you know, they, they had sights on winning again and, you know, being very competitive. And yeah. all of a sudden, Yardano's gone, and you know, they're, they're out there scuffling, trying to find starting pitching, and, and they're giving big contracts like the Ian Kennedy and different ones, and, and they're paying the price now. I mean, they're, they're strapped uh, with that around their neck. Um, it, it was it was a panic situation, and I, and I understand it was, it was bad, but down the road, it even affects worse, so it, it does. Yeah, uh, well, anyway, Ned Yost has had a terrific tenure out there in Kansas City. Uh, do you think this, I think they've pretty much said this is going to be his last year. Is that correct? Well, if his wife has anything to say about it, probably it, will It'll be. be his last year, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, he's won his World Series. He's really grown as a manager. When he was in Milwaukee, he was still learning. Um, and he tutored under some really good people like Bobby Cox and, and you know, he's comfortable with himself right now, and he loves his farm, and he loves being on the tractor, he loves to go deer hunting, he, he just loves that kind of stuff. Uh, and he's got family down there in Atlanta, and why, why put yourself through this if you really don't have to? He loves it, don't get me wrong, I mean, he, he enjoys it, but he's very secure with himself right now, and I think any time he, he said, okay, that's enough, you know, he'd get some kind of a consultant job with the, with the Royals and, and he could go back to Atlanta and just have fun the rest, and <laughs> the rest is, of his life. So. And is Drayton there, you think, for the long haul? I don't know. I, you know what? I, I tell you what, after, I thought, a year ago that when all that went on down, on down in Atlanta, with yeah. all the, I thought for sure Dayton and Ned and, and J.J. Piccolo and everybody else with the organization was heading to Atlanta. I really thought, why not? I mean, they got a great, good young organization. Yep. Just on the verge of winning. It's right there to hand it to you. And they, you know, they made, they made a promise with uh, Mr. Glass, and, and they stuck to it. I mean, yep. they said they're going to be here, and they're here. Yep. So, I mean, you got to tip your hat to them, and I appreciate somebody that, that's honest and lives up to their word. Do you think, last question for you, do you think Ned Yost's uh, successor is on his staff? Do you think Dale's fame has a chance for that job? Or what's the name What's the name of the young catching instructor who's so good that they love? Well, they uh, they, they brought in uh, Mike Matheny. Oh, that's right. They brought in Matheny. That's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, I can see him being the next guy. Okay. That yeah. makes perfect sense. They brought him sense. in and... and I think uh, within a year or so, if Ned decides to go, I think Danny will take over. All right. That sounds good. Hey, I really appreciate your coming on and sharing a little bit uh, about your memories of Frank Robinson with us, Mike. Frank Frank was a great man, great baseball player, and the good part about it is uh, he mellowed in his age. Yeah. He 
he was he was one tough mean guy. I mean, he just you didn't get under didn't look at Frank the wrong way, and you know it. Uh, but he he mellowed over the years, um, and uh, yeah. had had some good conversations with Frank towards the you know the last few times I've seen him. So. You know, whether it's Barry Bloom, uh, Mike Shallon, Peter Schmuck, every baseball writer I've heard talk about their relationship with Frank. Tough exterior, but if you broke through it, there was a warm, funny, exactly. engaging guy there. And I think he yeah, you, I think he tested you, you like you said, with Earl Weaver. I think he learned that maybe yep. from He wanted Earl to see what bit. you were like, what you yep. were made out of. Yep. And if he found out that you, you were made of something, yep. you, you, you were his friend for life. All right. Mike, many thanks. We'll catch up with you sometime during the summer. All right. Sounds good, Stan. All right. Stay well. You too. Bye-bye. All right. There you go. Mike Boddicker, uh, former Oriole great, last Oriole pitcher to win uh, 100 games, uh, not 100 games, 20 games in a season. And that was all the way back in 1984. So it's 16. This is going into the 35th year that the Orioles uh, will have not had a 20-game winner. And I don't think the the chances are looking real good that they'll have one this year. All right, Howard Bender is going to join us at about 11.35. But before we take a timeout, I wanted to do a quick peek. Um, and again, I did this in the first 10 minutes of the show or the second 10 minutes of the show from 10.10 to 10.20. Uh, and now I'm going to do this for about 10 minutes right now. I'm going to give an early preview of my um, power rankings for the season. Boston Red Sox in the American League East are the reigning champions. They won the division by eight games over the New York Yankees. Yankees are one, second at 162. Tampa shocked the world, finishing third, 90-72. and 72. A team with that kind of payroll and being inventive, uh, coming up with the opener, uh, they won 90 games. They finished 18 games over 500. Toronto was a whole different world apart from those top three teams. They finished 17 games below the Tampa Bay Rays. They were 73 and 89. And then finishing in a whole different universe were the Baltimore Orioles, 26 games behind the Toronto Blue Jays. So improvements this year. Boston Red Sox still figure to be pretty good. They re-signed Nathan Eovaldi, uh, but where are, their, where are they going to close out games? Without Craig Kimbrell, uh, without a bona fide closer, uh, there's been talk even that knuckleballer Stephen Wright could, could end up closing games for them. Uh, Ryan Brazier uh, could close games. Heath Hembry, uh, but that's an awful lot of pressure to put on guys that have never really closed games. The Yankees. They picked up James Paxton. They also picked up, uh, re-signed uh, Jay Happ. Uh, have they done enough uh, to uh, move up in the um, prognostication? They also picked up DJ LeMahieu to be an important little player. May play some third base, may play some second base. They're still rumored to be in the Machado hunt. Some people even think they're going to shock the world and all of a sudden swoop in pick up Bryce Harper, but they have narrowed the difference between themselves and the Red Sox, especially if uh, Giancarlo Stanton really uh, sort of settles in in New York and can handle the bright lights in Big City. I mean, he had a good season last year, but he was awful in the playoffs, 
and he's got to step up and be uh, one of the people uh, next year. They also, uh, this year, also Brett Brett Gardner uh, could use a comeback season even at the age of 35. If not, he may end up ceding playing time to um, uh, Judge and Stanton in the outfield. Hicks has taken that center fielder's job, uh, but uh, and maybe some at-bats could go to LeMayu or um, D.D. Gregorius the second half of the year if he comes back from his Tommy John surgery. So we'll see how it plays out. Tampa, I think they've improved even more. They've picked up a really solid defensive catcher in Mike Zanino, picked up an outfielder in Avisel Garcia, uh, who might be able to really put up some solid numbers there in Tampa. And uh, starting rotation, uh, a rotation that really only had Blake Snell and um, James Caprillion, uh, not uh, not Caprillion, What's his name? James, uh, the guy they picked up from the Pirates. Um, anyway, I'll get that name before I forget. But uh, also Charlie Morton picked up to round out what looks to be like a starting threesome in the rotation there. But Blake Snell, again, reigning Cy Young Award winner. I think Tampa may have improved another five games. Boston may have dropped down six or seven games. And the Yankees may have improved three or four games. So you got three teams within about ten games. Very good. In the Central, everybody still thinks Cleveland's starting rotation. The rumors were they were going to trade Corey Kluber or Trevor Bauer. They held on to both of them uh, to go along with Carlos Carrasco and Mike Clevenger to give them a dynamic starting four. Uh, Shane Bieber also could be pretty good, or Tristan McKenzie by midseason could push his way into the picture. Uh, but do they have enough offense? All right. Um, it would really help them a great deal. By the way, Francisco Lindor out seven to nine weeks, heard his um, pulled a, I think it was a hamstring uh, or one of the muscles in his leg. He's out seven to nine weeks. That's a long time for a muscle strain. Uh, or a muscle pull. Uh, so that could be problematic for them. But they've got Jose Ramirez. Uh, first base, remember, is back in the hands of Carlos Santana. Jan Gomes went to the Washington Nationals. Robert Perez will be the main catcher there. Um, and the outfield, Michael Brantley's gone. So their offensive picture in Cleveland, not nearly as impressive as it's been over the last couple years. They could slide back. Does Minnesota, have they done enough to really paint themselves into a situation where they could contend? I don't think so, but it's going to be a lot closer between those two teams. Detroit has probably tread water. The White Sox, they need some growing to be done by their starting pitching, and most notably Carlos Rodan. They're in the hunt for uh, Machado and Harper. They don't seem to be willing to pay the big bucks, but they've got some players coming up. Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert. Uh, Jimenez will probably be up uh, a month or two into this season who could start to be difference makers. Kansas City, they lost 104 games. It would be a big win for them if they add 12 wins and go 70 and 90 this season. Houston still looks to be the best despite the fact that they've lost Charlie Morton and most likely are going to lose Dallas Keuchel. They picked up Michael Brantley, a really solid addition. 
The health of Altuve and Correa will decide things. Seattle, has re- they're in the reimagining um, mode right now. We'll see how good they can be this year. They don't look to be a team that can win 89 games. And the Angels, they've spent, they've spent some money. They picked up Matt Harvey in the rotation. They picked up the guy from, uh, that used to be with the uh, Oakland A's. Um, boy, I, t- I got to tell you something. At my age, I got to really write these guys. Trevor Cahill, that's who I was thinking of. Uh, Trevor Cahill, they've added them to their starting rotation, Matt Harvey and Trevor Cahill. Harvey already out, but they did pick up Cody Allen. Um, they need some help. They look to be about an 80-82 to 82 win team this year, and the Texas Rangers are in a rebuild mode. All right? My first MLB power rankings will be out in about two weeks. Uh, there'll be more detail than you got today. Um, we're going to take a timeout right now. i got to tell you about Big Bats. That's right, Big Bats. The Ken Islands Original Sports Bar located 216 St. Clair Place in Stevensville, Maryland. On the way down or back to and from the Eastern Shore, there's no place better to relax and eat. Great place to watch the O's, the Nats, the Wizards, the Caps, uh, NCAA Tournament, lacrosse, football, uh, and sample the best bar grub around, sandwiches, salads, soups, and subs. All there, there for you at Big Bats, 216 St. Clair Place. If you're going down to the Eastern Shore, get off at the Stevensville exit, come up to the stop sign, make a left. It might be a red light. Make the first left, go down about a quarter of a mile. It's on the right-hand side. Big Bats, where you can sit on a base. Our children's futures start at a very young age, and Catholic schools prepare them for that future. Academic excellence with the belief that all students will succeed. A balanced curriculum integrating music and arts, foreign language, and Catholic faith, while challenging students in the areas of science, math, and technology. Discover the Catholic school's difference. Please visit archbalt.org schools for more information. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dining orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. One third of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking, then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. All Always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com. Kick off President's Day weekend with the Maryland Jockey Club at Laurel Park's 8th Annual Winter Carnival. Join us on Saturday, February 16th for a day of family-friendly fun, live thoroughbred racing, and giveaways for program purchasers while supplies last. Check out one-of-a-kind ice sculptures and carve out your own prize from our six-foot-tall ice wall. The fun continues with Sunday brunch and live racing through Monday, February 18th. Crush those winter blues and join us at Laurel Park's Winter Carnival. You'll be glad you did. Doors open at 11 a.m. Post time 1230. We'll see you there. Respect. It's more than a word. 
In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KO from the PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer. The, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, not really. Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, College football. College football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. Hi, it's Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer from Glenn Clark Radio. We're going to be talking a lot of Lamar Jackson on our show, but I want to make a promise right now. For those of you that tune in to Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday from 10 to noon, we will talk about something unrelated to Lamar Jackson for at least 30 solid seconds every day. Kyle, I thought maybe we should give people an idea of some of the topics that we might discuss other than Lamar Jackson. For example, we might talk about Chick-fil-A sauce. Aliens. The television program Detroiters. Jesus stealing pizza. All these things are options for 30 solid seconds, and then we'll go right back to Lamar Jackson. GlennClarkRadio.com, PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, and watch the show Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. All right, we are back on the bat around on this Saturday, the 16th of February. If you uh, are tuned in uh, on Facebook Live, please like and share the show, and you can always reach us on Facebook Live by going to Facebook.com slash Press Box Sports. Joining us right now is a man I got to know about a year ago. I ended up getting a, a package of the Jim Bowden Fantasy Baseball Draft Guide 2018, and I wanted to pay them back for allowing me to have this um, valuable uh, uh, research uh, uh, link, and I ended up getting the owner of the, of the whole company, the whole shebang, and that's Howard Bender. And he joins me now. Howard, how are you? Stan, what's going on, man? It's baseball season, baby. Now, uh, seriously, I catch your show an awful lot on XM Radio, you and Jim Bowden. Is baseball your favorite sport, Howard? Baseball has always been my favorite sport. Stan, I grew up about six subway stops away from Yankee Stadium uh, in the 70s. So back in the days of Thurman and Reggie, and Lou Pinella and all those guys. I was uh, I was just a wide-eyed eight, nine-year-old kid, just dreaming of playing in Yankee Stadium. So, so how did you end up out in San Francisco? Was it Haight Ashbury? Was it LSD? What was it? <laughs> Might be a combination of both. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was. Um, you were about you know, that, that, that. Yeah, I'm kidding. Go ahead. No, no, no. But I'm not. I don't know. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, my my first dead show. My first dead show was in 1986 or right. 87 in, uh, in Nassau Coliseum in, in New York. Um, yeah, you know, my wife and I, no kids. Um, she wanted to really be a part of the live music scene out here in San Francisco. Um, and as a, as a writer and broadcaster, I could pretty much go from anywhere. So uh, we rolled up the stakes back in 2007 and 
moved out here, and uh, and it's been uh, history ever since. Now, the first time I ever saw the Grateful Dead, I saw him play. Was it Roosevelt Stadium? Was that the the city the stadium in Jersey City where the Dodgers played their last parts of their last season there in '57? Oh. I think it was. I think it was Roosevelt yeah. Stadium. Yeah. Anyway, I saw them in about 1974, 73, 74 played Roosevelt Stadium. They were pretty amazing a, back then. I'm a little bit older a good than chance you. I have, <laughs> there's a good chance I have that show on cassette tape somewhere, Stan. I'll bet you do. Hey, tell us a little bit about uh, how you ended up uh, aligning yourself with Jim Bowden, who I think is one of the really best content providers, whether it be on the air or in the written word. I just think he's so great. Uh, the funny thing is, is that Jim actually approached us uh, about a year and a half, almost two years ago. Uh, Jim was, uh, he was doing a lot of work for uh, MLB radio right. uh, over at Sirius XM. And, uh, and then he got turned on to the fantasy game because they had a, they had a couple of guests on. So he started to explore the fantasy realm a little bit, uh, and he looked at a number of places, and he heard a couple of shows, and he uh, he actually approached us over at Fantasy Alarm uh, and asked if we'd be interested in uh, in teaming up and doing some work together. So his uh, it his, was a ma- so ma- his, heaven. his name lends a lot of mainstream baseball credibility to what some people still view as like this. A bunch of crazy people over here, but the crazy people have gotten so large. But Bowden's credibility, does it help? Oh, of course it helps. It'd be silly to, to, to not think that. I mean, you're talking about a, a, a guy who was a GM in baseball for the Reds, uh, for the Nationals for 16 years. He traded for Ken Griffey Jr. to bring him back to the Queen City. Yep. Um, Jim Bowden's name, I'm not going to lie, it definitely carries a lot of weight. But, I mean, listen, the guy puts out, you know, in our draft guide, you'll see rookies, sleepers, and busts. Uh, and then here's the funny thing is that our player rankings, he actually sat down during the GM winter meetings with a number of GMs and, and talk to them about it and explain certain fantasy aspects to them. And the GMs actually helped him with some of the rankings. How much does it help that some of the younger GMs in the game now, Howard, are not sort of the old grizzled guy my age and above, but they're 35 years old. They probably played some fantasy ball when they were younger. They understand the analytics. They understand the fascination with numbers, and they seem to have an esprit de corps with your core audience. They definitely do. You talk about guys like, uh, you know, Andrew Friedman, Farhan Zaidi. I mean, these guys are definitely uh, pro-analytics. They're very much into, uh, into a lot of the, the metrics that go into certain things. Um, and I, you know, listen, they all play in fantasy football leagues. I'm not going to out them all right now is that I know Farhan Zaidi is a multi-year fantasy football champ. Uh, so these guys do understand the fantasy game. They do embrace it, uh, a lot more than some of like, let's say your old school players who just, you know, I just want to put good wood on the ball and they don't talk about ground ball rates or things like that. So having some of these GMs, these younger guys, uh, who really embrace the the world of sabermetrics? 
it makes it easier for us as fantasy players because we know what their plans are, what they're looking to do, and, and how they're going about it, and we can build our fantasy teams in similar fashion. Yeah, and, and when I listen to Craig Mish or you and you have these guys on, they treat you with respect. They're not aggravated by the kind of lines of questioning you ask them. I remember once having the audacity to bring up his uh, fantasy value to Carney Lansford one day. I thought he was going to strangle me about 20 years ago. <laughs> We're talking. With, yeah. He goes, what did you say? And I said, well, I mean, I, I drafted you this year and you haven't. And he goes, you think I really give a crap about you? You know, nowadays you get a much more friendly response from players. Uh, it's it's split about I would say it's split about sixty forty where sixty percent are okay with it. Yeah. Um. You know the problem is is that you get the the social media trolls out there the idiots on Twitter who start tweeting at their players to say you know oh you're playing like garbage or right. oh you cost me a championship. <laughs> you know when you start seeing tweets like that. Yeah. Uh, as a player, I can totally get behind the fact that it's aggravating. Yeah, I get you. I get you. Let's talk a little bit about how our listeners or viewers uh, to the show at Facebook uh, Live can buy the fantasy baseball draft guide that's got Jim Bowden's name attached to it. I see right now online this is normally a $40 value right now because it's uh, it's the hot season. You've got it priced down. It usually works the opposite way. Usually get roofs cheaper in the non-roof season. You're giving this thing away at 1997 right now before drafts are starting. Well, we I mean it was the early bird special, you know, we were trying to, you know, trying to entice everybody before spring training, make right. that move, get the draft guide. I mean, the draft guide, aside from all the written articles, there's a whole bunch, like Jim and I sit down and we break down every front office of every team. And Jim shares a lot of his insights with, you know, with a lot of these players, with a lot of these GMs. Um, so the, the draft guide not only has articles, but it's got audio, it's got video, it's got rankings, it's got player profiles. So we try, you know, we, we left that, that promo code in there for the preseason for before spring training. Uh, and as it turns out, my uh, my tech guy never took down the uh, the, the promo codes and oh, didn't knock up, didn't put the prices up. So I said, you know what? I'll tell you what. Until Manny Machado and Bryce Harper sign, until both those guys are on a team, I'll keep the draft guide at the twenty dollars, and then I'll even throw it one better. If you sign, if you go to fantasyalarm.com/slash/draft now. That'll get you that $20 price tag. If you use the promo code Bowden, B-O-W-D-E-N, right. that's going to knock another 5 bucks off of it. Wow. For $15, you could get this uh, fantasy guide. Now, tell me about this next thing. I see below it that it's normally $199. You can get live chat with experts and daily live stream and more. Right now, and I don't, I don't want to speak. Is that offer still good too? Ninety-seven dollars. Um, Ninety-seven dollars for the uh, for the entire baseball season. Yeah, that'll yeah. give you the guide plus the baseball season uh, completely. What that also gets you is, is that yeah, we have a live chat right there on the homepage at fantasyalarm.com uh, that's open to all of our subscribers, where you can get. Uh, it's basically it's it's twenty four hour a day response from one of our experts, one of our writers, uh, anybody who's out there, 
um, you might you might actually end up like during the daytime talking to five different experts who are just sitting there hanging out in the chat room. So we offer as much advice and guidance as we possibly can. So yeah, <laughs> do you get your money's worth? How about and then some? And then you can listen to these guys. You can listen to Howard Bender and Jim Bowden. Their show is on four to six. Am I right? Four to six, right? East Coast time. Four to six. Eastern, yeah, yep. Monday through on, Friday. On the XM Fantasy Channel, which is 87 on my dial on my radio. Now I want to pick your brain on a couple things, all right? How, sure. how is this clo- the opener thing affecting people and how they should draft and set up their team? Is there a way to quantify that yet? And sort of, because we know Tampa's going to do it again, but have teams come out and announced that they're going to do this? Other teams? Other teams have uh, kind of gotten bo- on board with it. Last year, the uh, the Oakland A's started to do it a little bit towards the tail end of the season as well. I mean, listen, you can't you can't fault the, the Rays for doing it. The Rays start, employed that last year, and in the second half of the season, they had the number one ERA in, the, in, in all of baseball. So it was definitely effective for them. Um, for the fantasy community, yeah, the, the problem is is that you have to watch out which starters you're going to actually think about using uh, You know, when you're doing your, your draft. Am I going to draft any raised starters? Probably not. Uh, maybe Charlie Morton gets an extra look there. Right. I'm going to end up trying to use teams that, that don't, don't usually employ something like that, that have starters who... Uh, not so much outspoken like Garrett Cole is in Houston, but some of those starters who really have shown a, a penchant for wanting to go six, seven innings at a time. They don't want to come out. They don't want to go five innings. It's the young kids. Those are the kids who are groomed to only go five innings. So if you've got like a grizzled veteran pitching staff, that's actually not bad this year. So, but getting back to my question, though, like if you're thinking of how who I want to draft that I can take advantage of, is is for an example, Ryan Yarborough, is he worth having on your team this year? But how do you value him? How do you put a dollar value to what you should pay for him at an auction? See, I look at I look at a guy like Yar- Yarborough or or Stanek, the, those guys who serve as the opener. I don't look at them any differently than I look at middle, some middle relievers. Um, they're not the, the most popular guys you want in fantasy unless you play in a league that has holds. Okay. Then the middle relievers have a little bit of value. But the openers, they really don't. I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to get you one inning uh, a game, so maybe they get you three to four innings a week. And and it's just it's basically like your middle reliever, but they're never going to get the win. They don't get right. any holds, and if they're not a high strikeout guy, then they've got no value. So from a fantasy standpoint, um, if you're sitting there at your auction, uh, I'd rather put a buck on Adam Ottavino than I would to put a buck on Ryan Yarbrough because at least Ottavino uh, is going to get me some strikeouts and could potentially notch a save. All right. I hear I hear you on most of those. Yarborough, though, ended up, he was not used as much as the opener as he was used as the second guy in, wasn't he? In other words, he, he, he got like 16 wins last year, didn't he? He did, which, yeah. was, which was really surprising because 
you know, here's the here's the problem. And, he and, got and about ten. Of, think, he got about ten of them after I traded them. <laughs> but the thing is, that, you know, if you look at if you look at the fantasy community right now, Stan, um, they they're always looking for different categories. They're looking for different things. You know, we already know that wins are an arbitrary category in fantasy. We right. already know it's an arbitrary category in reality. When Felix Hernandez won the Cy Young and he only had 13 wins, that was the world telling us, that was the baseball world telling us that we understand that wins is a very arbitrary category. So, you know, if you're, if you're fishing for wins, no, it's not a guy like Yarbrough or, 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 or you know, a second starter that you're looking for there. It's, it's a guy who actually will end up getting, you know, keeping himself in line for a win. It's, it's strong starters with a good bullpen there. Um, Yarbrough could have, uh, I mean, he could have ended up with three wins as easily as he could have ended up with 15. So, you know, I, I still, I, I just don't put that, that strong of a value on that, especially when it, it shows you that a manager doesn't trust this guy to go more than twice through a batting order. All right. Now I need some help with my team. All right. I emailed you yesterday. All right. Did you, did you read that email? I did. I sent you back which three oh. guys I would keep out of that group. Okay. All right. Well, now, let me do it on the air now. Or, or am I giving <laughs> away the secret here, the secret sauce? I've got – I my team was so horrible out of the gate. I had nine people on the disabled list in the first three and a half weeks last year. I had Salvador Perez tear a ligament in his knee lifting a suitcase two days before the season started. Uh, I had Delino De Shields break a hammock bone in his second game. It was uh, unbelievable last year. So I ended up trading for younger players, lower cost players. I've got Carlos Rodon in a 260 league, five by five. How valuable is Carlos Rodon of the White Sox? It's that's a tough one. You know, I've never. I I, I always thought he had a really decent skill set. Right. Um. But the problem is, is that he gets very limited run support. The ballpark he plays in is is a bit of a bandbox there, and he's still he's still learning how to find that strike zone. He still gets a little his command is still a little rough, and it's surprisingly that that it's surprising that it's that it's that rough. Now you've got him for five bucks, right? It's a it's a great bargain price. The that, question is, is is that as good a bargain price as some of your other guys who? You know, you have Jacob Junis at a dollar. You have Matt Keller at two dollars. Uh, both of those guys, I think, are, are better values. Uh, being able to to save some money there because I think that overall, I think their stats will probably be similar at 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 worst. They'll be similar to that of Carlos Rodon. I got to tell you, I talked to Mike Boddicker. We had him on the show today, so I picked his brain yesterday when I set him up. He loves Brad Keller. He thinks he is really terrific. And he says, Junis is going to be good. He's just got to learn how to get hitters off the ball. You know, uh, he hasn't quite figured out how to, how to get them off stride. But anyway, you like, uh, you like them. Let me ask you about uh, Eduardo Rodriguez. I have him at $8. Is he a keeper? You know, yes, I, I do think so. Eduardo Rodriguez seems to be improving. He's, you're seeing st- 
steadily steady improvement from him from year to year. He's also a guy who can notch you some really good strikeouts. Like I got, he's got a better strikeout rate. He's got a better K per nine uh, than Rodon does, and right. it's worth the extra three bucks to keep him, only because you're also looking at a guy who's got the Red Sox pitching behind him, um, and he could have a 12 run lead by the third inning yeah. every game. All right. Now, Stephen Wright, are you reading anything at all about him? Because I've got him for a buck. I've heard everything from they hope to have him as a insurance in the rotation. I've heard even that they're thinking about maybe he could close games. Uh, what are you hearing about Stephen Wright? Or should I drop him? I mean, yeah, I would. I, I'm not a. I'm not a fan. I mean, listen, Stephen Wright. You know, he's got some merits to him, but yeah. he's a guy who's never really going to crack the rotation, and he's going to end up uh, working that middle relief role until they do need a starter. I love what the Boston bullpen's sitting there in the background. They've got Matt Barnes and uh, and Ryan Brassier, um as two guys who you can look for really late in your draft. Nobody's on these guys. Right. And I think Barnes is going to be the guy who ends up closing, but Brasier will share the role with him uh, a little bit early on in the season as they get going. So uh, to me, I think Wright is just going to be one of those spot starters when the Sox need him. All right. Do you like Diaz now with Houston? He hit like about 16, 17 home runs last year for Toronto. Do they think he can be the, the new Marwin Gonzalez? I think they're going to try it out. I, you know, <laughs> I don't think he, he doesn't have the. I don't think he's got the power. Um, so would you really drop? To, would you drop him? How much do you have him for? One dollar. Oh, he qualifies I mean, everywhere, which I think has a value, doesn't it? That has a huge value. Yeah, if you've got him for a dollar, and and he's not going. I mean, that's not going to hurt you at all. Okay. And yeah, once once that once the injuries start creeping up on your team, it sounds like you got some bad luck with some injury stands. So, I've had that you know, for. I've had a, the old BB King song. If it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. <laughs> that's me. Uh, last player, because I've got Michael Andahar, so at five dollars. So I know that I know you like him. What about Jake Bowers? I have him at five. So you would keep Bowers over Stephen Wright? Yes, I would definitely keep Bowers over Stephen Wright. I think Bowers has a really good chance to blossom this year. Um, I, I think he's got a good bat. I think it's a it's a good, healthy 20 to 25 home run bat. Um, he showed some improvements on his plate discipline uh, middle of the season last year. And I think getting out of Tampa Bay is going to be one of the best things ever for him. I think he's really going to uh, going to turn things out and blossom in the new home. All right, Howard Bender, the owner of, are you the owner of, or is it a, a huge conglomerate of investors? No, it's a it's a it's a group of us. All there's, right. there's a couple of guys there, so I'm gonna yeah I'm I'm more of the uh, the the hands on you're the f- uh, you're head of content VP of operations type. You're guy. like the lead singer. You're like the Freddie Mercury of Fantasy Alarm, right? Well, I will take that as the ultimate of compliments, right. right there. Thank All you right. very much. All right, Howard Bender has been on with us. We'll hope to have him a couple more times but we're going to have some members of his staff on to get you ready for your drafts. But go to FantasyAlarm.com, sign up for the 2019 guide. It's at an incredible price right now of nineteen ninety seven. And if you use the promo code BODEN, B-O-W-D-E-N, 
you're going to get five more dollars off of that. It'll get you ready for your draft. All right? Howard, thank you so much for being on with us. Uh, Stan, always a pleasure, man. Looking forward to a great season with you. To luck. That's all I need is Mr. Luck. Mr. Lucky. <laughs> all right, I'll talk to you soon. Definitely. Take care, Stan. All right, there he goes, Howard Bender. We're going to take a final timeout, and in this timeout, I'm going to tell you about the Costas Inn. That's right, 4100 North Point Boulevard, the Costas Inn, your place for crabs, crab cakes, crab soup, but a whole host of other things, including great service, uh, great ambiance, great family atmosphere, and oh, those specials. Monday night is rib night. Tuesday night is crab cake night. Wednesday night is steak night. Thursday night is lobster night. And Friday night, Pete sets up a whole host of specials. There's great music there a couple nights a week. Uh, call them up for a schedule in the music. 410-477-1975 is the phone number. Also a great place to buy gift cards for anniversaries, birthdays, um, graduations, any bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, anything. Uh, 477-1975, the cost is in. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, we offer one more salute to Joe Flacco as his tenure in Baltimore comes to a close. Prominent media members and public figures, including Mayor Catherine Pugh, share their thoughts on what Flacco has meant to the city. Also inside, you'll find our annual comprehensive college lacrosse preview. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and at PressBoxOnline.com. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Section 336 here with all your Baltimore sports talk. The Raven season is now done, but the Orioles season is just ahead. We have a new GM. We have a new manager. We have a few new baseball players out there. Reason for optimism. I don't know if you can name any of those new players, and I think we won 40-some games last year. Yeah, but I remember a terrible year in 1988 where we were able to turn it around the very next year in 1989. Why not 2019? Why yeah, not? why not? Why not check out Section 336 at Section336.com, Facebook, or on Twitter and iTunes as well. Just search for Section 336. 
What a sweet time to see our friend Steve at his Chick-fil-A restaurant in Nottingham Square. The chocolate milkshakes are the way they should be at Chick-fil-A, thick and chocolatey. But so is the peppermint chocolate chip milkshake, thick, chocolatey, and pepperminty. The strawberry milkshake is thick and very strawberry-y like it's supposed to be. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square also has frosted coffee and ice-cold vanilla shakes. Plus, there's a cookies and cream milkshake. Cookies and cream! The Chick-fil-A sandwich is the best, the waffle fries are amazing, and at Steve's Chick-fil-A in Nottingham Square, his folks come around to check on you if you dine in. They refilled my drink for nothing the last time I was there. Do not leave hungry. Top off your next meal at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square with something sweet. Shakes, cones, and cookies. All done the way you'd expect from Chick-fil-A perfectly. Join Chick-fil-A 1 and score points every time you order for free stuff. Our Chick-fil-A is on Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Our children's futures start at a very young age, and Catholic schools prepare them for that future. Academic excellence with the belief that all students will succeed. A balanced curriculum integrating music and arts, foreign language, and Catholic faith, while challenging students in the areas of science, math, and technology. Discover the Catholic school's difference. Please visit archbalt.org schools for more information. Well, we are back to close things out on the bat around. By the way, about 35 minutes ago, I had a total brain freeze uh, thinking of the Tampa pitcher, and I mentioned it was James Caprillion, uh, but that's a guy with Oakland who came from the Yankees who's still hurt, I think, in Oakland's camp. But I was thinking of a Tampa Bay pitcher that they picked up from the Pirates, and that was Tyler Glasnow, okay? Tyler Glasnow. Uh, who pitched last year, his Major League stats don't on the face of it look ultra-impressive. 2-7, and seven, 4.27 ERA, but uh, he started 11 games, and in 111 innings he had 136 Ks, 127 strikeouts. So in his career at the Major League level, he's got a uh, 197 innings pitch, 216 Ks, but that whip goes way, way up for his career, 153, which means that his time with Tampa last year was way, way better than it has been. So we'll see. A little bit of risk, but there could be an upside with Tyler Glass now. All right. Many thanks to Brittany Everett. Many thanks to our guest today, Todd Karpovich, Mike Shallon, Mike Boddicker, and the one and only Howard Bender of Fantasy Alarm Com. And again, that is an incredible, if you're listening or watching right now, it's an incredible offer. Go to fantasyalarm.com slash Bowden. Sign up for that fantasy guide, um, which comes to you in an online link, and you can just look at it. It's only $15 if you sign up uh, before Machado and Harper, both with big league teams. All right? Um, if you forget to put Bowden, uh, it's 1997, but you save five more dollars if you put in slash Bowden fantasyalarm.com slash Bowden B O W D E N. All right, for uh, Brittany Everett, for Craig Heist, who wasn't here today, and myself, many thanks for tuning in. Not too late to like and share the show. Um, Ken Zalis will be in tomorrow with uh, Kyle Ottenheimer, Fantasy and Reality Football Show. Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer back Monday through Friday. New Press Box print edition is out. 
It's at over 500 locations around Baltimore, including 60 Royal Farm stores. It's a final salute to Joe Flacco. And if you can't get out and get it, you can find the whole kit and caboodle. That's right, the whole kit and caboodle at PressBoxOnline.com.